I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf, a series of podcasts in which I will be talking to those at the heart of the farm and grass machinery industry. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Inside AgriTurf. Uh, We are now in September, the month which usually signifies the start of our industry year, more so in fact than the 1st of January. Harvest is done, early crops sown, the leaves on the trees are displaying their autumn glow ahead of renewal and the sun is lower and the days shorter. It is a time when the agriturf industry starts planning for next year. And as we all gathered last Christmas, we reflected on a fractious year, divisions over Brexit, a change of Prime Minister, a weather year that ranged from extreme heat to excess rain and flooding. And so we probably raised a glass and toasted a return to normality in 2020. But some hope. Days into the new year, there came worrying reports from China. Chinese health authorities have admitted for the first time that the mysterious pneumonia that had broke out in the city of Wuhan could be contagious among people. This comes as it has been confirmed that a man who was infected at a fish market in Wuhan transmitted the disease to his wife. Those early fears soon turned into something much more serious, with global implications. On the 11th of March, the World Health Authority declared the spreading coronavirus as a pandemic. And in the UK, on the 23rd of March, the Prime Minister addressed the nation. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Because the critical thing we must do to stop the disease spreading between households, that is why people will only be allowed to leave their home for the following very limited purposes. Shopping for basic necessities as infrequently as possible, one form of exercise a day, for example, a run, walk or cycle, alone or with members of your household, any medical need to provide care or to help a vulnerable person, and travelling to and from work, but only where this is absolutely necessary and cannot be done from home. So as we entered a state of personal and economic paralysis, it was clear that some industry sectors had to remain on station, and that included agriculture and its support network. The timing of the season's wait for no man, which meant that many in the agriturf industry worked on to support the farming community and those looking after open spaces, and also the gardeners of the UK, as lockdown gave a whole new meaning to the phrase gardening leave. The industry's traditional calendar was decimated. Shows and exhibitions cancelled en masse and huge restrictions were enforced to determine how businesses could or could not operate. Six months on, the peak, and let's hope it was the peak, has passed. Some semblance of normality has returned, but great holes have been ripped out of our economy. And still, there are more questions than answers. Or, as a former US politician once put it, There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. 
So to try and help me with the knowns and unknowns, I'm delighted today to be joined by Les Malin, the current president of the Agricultural Engineers Association. Les is Managing Director of Atesia UK, the UK arm of a French company manufacturing top-of-the-range machinery for the professional grass maintenance market, and who also distribute battery-powered products made by another French company, Palenque. Les joined Atesia in 2000, initially in the sales role, and was appointed Managing Director in 2017 and is based at the Atesia UK headquarters on a rural business park in Oxfordshire. Les, many thanks for joining me. And let me ask you first, how do you think this industry has coped with all the difficulties thrown at it during the past few months? I think it's probably a very mixed bag, you know, both from the... uh, manufacturers and distributors uh, point of view um, I think from from my side and from what I've seen from the manufacturers distributors I think we've uh, managed to provide a, a fairly decent backup for the dealers and end users um, throughout this uh, very difficult spring period um, but there's obviously been a big difference between the agricultural based companies and the ground care based from what I've seen the ag people everything seems to be a lot clearer to them on the guidelines and what they could and couldn't do Ground care was more of a grey area, I think, from the start. And there were some people open, some people were closed. Some people were open, even though their websites and their telephones were saying they were closed as well. So <laughs> yeah. it was quite difficult to get your head around things. Um, you know, for, for sure, the, the main thing I found sitting here each day, um, because my office staff were furloughed, like many others, to, for their safety, I carried on coming into the office and the majority of phone calls I were getting were from end users who were trying to find parts, trying to find goods, but were struggling to find people actually available to do it, if you like. But was I think that, that this was an issue, wasn't it, about uh, agriculture was, farming was pretty clear cut. Um, and of course, as we always say, the seasons never stop. Uh, grass care, a little bit more marginal, particularly if, when you get down into the domestic sector as well. So uh, I think uh, it was suggested in, in April that, uh, bearing in mind how we were locked down, that this could be a devastating season for the grass care machinery industry. Has it turned out like that, do you think? Or um, where will you end up, do you think, at the end of the year? Um, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't quite say it's probably going to be devastating, but you know, as you said, uh, you know, in our pre-chat there, the weather seems to have a bigger impact on our industries than, than most other things do. But it, it, there's no doubt about it. I mean, most people lost the spring selling season, uh, and for certainly for the commercial aspect, that's a, an important part of the year for us. And I think we lost that, as many companies have done. We did see a resurgence um, as things started to ease up in July and August. Traditionally, the, the summer period stops again, but, you know, people go on holiday. As they're not going on holiday, things Indeed. have started to, to move again. Maybe we've lost three months, but we've moved on a month or two into the summer season. So I don't think it's as devastating as it, as it probably would appear first thing. But don't get me wrong, there's going to be an impact on, on every business. There's no two ways about it. Anybody who comes out of this positive is going to do really well. Yeah, that's right. Generally speaking, were you fairly well stocked up? I mean, anecdotally, manufacturers, suppliers tended to stock up because of Brexit, and we might come on to that later. But uh, And so stocks were reasonably high, were they, at the beginning of the year? 
for me personally, it's uh, we were sort of coming towards the end of our financial year. So I tried to reduce my stocks as opposed <laughs> to uh, increase them. Oh. So not quite so easy. As, Mr. As sold at work again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you know, you're trying to adjust your, you know, for, for your own individual business at the time. But we managed okay to start with. Um, I did find that deliveries coming, you know, from France, from Pelic and Atesia became more difficult because obviously they were in the pandemic before us. So yes. the knock-on effect came in quite quickly from that point of view. And there was a lot of staff off in the factory, so we weren't getting the spare parts through, et cetera, either. So it definitely had a, an impact there. But um, the one bit what surprised me was once the containers started flowing in again, none of the orders from the spring had been cancelled. So really? we actually did get the product out, and that was a major surprise. Yes. Go away. Excellent. Um, it's very remiss of me, and I should have opened up with this, but uh, very belated congratulations on being elected president of the Agricultural Engineers Association, uh, albeit virtually. Uh, you didn't get the uh, acclaim of the crowd and uh, your chance to uh, deliver your speech in the magnificent surroundings of, uh, of Westminster. How, how have you managed to, to, to communicate with your fellow members of the AEA during this time? I think me not having um, subjected the audience to a long speech was probably uh, something that's worked in everybody else's favour. So actually missing that part of it. But yeah, it, it's a, a very different presidency compared to obviously the history of the AEA. Everything we've done so far has had to be virtual. Originally, I would have been um, take, taken on as president in, in April at the AGM, which obviously became a, a casualty of the pandemic. So it wasn't ratified till later on in the year, which was about June time. And since then, yes, we've not had a meeting of the board in person, if you like. But we've carried on regular contact and we've managed all our meetings, doing exactly what we're here today, you know, with a Zoom and, and such platforms. None um, of us had heard of Zoom, I think, at Christmas. <laughs> I think we've got no, used to it pretty darn quick. Uh, and I think the older generation like, like us um, have had a few learning curves on how to handle this type yeah. of thing as well. But Like, so. like where's mute? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose it's got its benefits so, as well as its downsides. I mean, all of the uh, board members and council members haven't had to spend a whole day commuting to Peterborough and back again. You know, we have been able to hold the meetings and, and in, in a timely fashion and then continue with our paid jobs as well. So that's been a bit of a, a, a godsend. But I, I still would not like this to be the way or the norm, if you like, because missing that interaction uh, around the table with people, being able to see other people's faces and reactions. Read, yeah. read a little bit of something from that. We miss a lot of that from this type of thing. Yes, I quite agree. And uh, and the pub afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, say that. <laughs> um, let's see, AA uh, is, is a broad church and it goes from really heavy agricultural machinery right down to machinery for lawns and gardens. And, and, and you're not quite in the garden sector, but you're in the professional turf care uh, sector. Um, has it meant that you've had to get up to speed in understanding some of the issues surrounding agriculture? But I, I, I think I know that you, you've got an agricultural background anyway. I'm quite lucky, really, because uh, I left school at 16 on a Friday and started full-time work on the Saturday morning on the farm. So my early working career was farming, farm contracting, self-employed uh, for a number of years. I didn't get into ground care until the, uh, the mid-90s. 
So my initial start in work in life was very much agriculture based. Um, and to be fair, I still keep up to date with it as much as possible. It's still, you know, very much a, a passion of mine. So from the AEA point of view, I'm quite lucky because I've milked cows, I've been involved in spraying, I've been involved in all courses of agriculture, and at the same time, bought into the ground care side and, uh, and literally done everything, you know, with my upbringing with E.P. Barris, who well known for the domestic side as well, and right the way through to where I am today. So I probably have got a, a broad knowledge of most of the AEA aspects. Don't confess to be an expert on anything in particular, but I've got an understanding of all of it. What, what benefit do you personally take out of being well, a member of the AEA and an active member of the AEA, but, but also now it, it's president? What, what, what does it mean to you? Personally, I think um, it's, it's a sense of achievement. As I said, I left at 16 with very few qualifications. So to work my way through from the grassroots to running this company and becoming president of the AEA is something I would never have expected to have done all those years ago. What the AA brings to me on a personal basis and a business basis is, is really the depth of knowledge and understanding that they have on our industry, and more importantly, on the things that I don't get involved in on a day-to-day, -day, like most people, like it's to do with government and the EU and the regulations and the other things which are a complete minefield in our day-to-day -day business. And the AA are able to put all that information together and make, put it in such a way that I can understand it and our fellow members can. So it, it, it's a fantastic system and a fantastic association to be part of for this industry. It's really, really interesting when I sit doing some of these board meetings and council meetings, some stuff coming out of it is, is very, very interesting. Some of the technical stuff gets a bit over my head at times. But... <laughs> you and me too. <laughs> Um, let's, let's go on to a topic which is really taxing a lot of dealers and manufacturers, and that is shows and exhibitions. You represent a company where demonstrating your products is, is absolutely vital to, to, to many of the sales that you make. I mean, you, you can't really sell them online. And the dealers themselves have missed out on a whole year of, of contact with customers through the county shows and so on. And we're still in this sort of twilight zone of not quite knowing what to happen. Do you, have you got any idea or hopes of what will happen from here? Uh, yeah, you're right in what you say. It, it's, a, it's a very difficult um, subject and difficult thing for us as a company. I mean, this whole business has been built up by demonstrating product and being in front of the, of the customers. We have a, an expensive brand, which everybody knows. And to sell an expensive brand, you have to have the exposure to the customer and prove that your product does what it says on the tin and get out there and work it. So from the, from the demonstration point of view, yeah, God, it's very, very difficult at the moment with, with the social distancing rules that are applied and many people still not being back to work in the industry uh, with the local authorities, etc. It is not something that, you know, is, is easy for us to do today. We're starting to see a slight improvement. We're starting to see, you know, say, some of these people come back. But I would say we've lost six to nine months of this year now and more than likely we'll lose more of it worry inside that is that most of the business we were doing during the, the lockdown period and, and the spring was work we'd probably been working on 12 months 18 months before so the worry thing is now is not what we're currently selling today but what we're going to be selling this time next year 
because that work being would normally be done is not being done in the same way. Have you been stepping up your um, activity in terms of uh, some people are making videos of their products? Um, that that's a that's a substitute, but no more, no less. Really, uh, it doesn't substitute for actually cutting grass or demonstrating the machine. But are you are you managing to replace any of the demonstrations by any other means that at your disposal? I think one thing which we started doing, which you'll see from our, obviously our um, social media and uh, and our and our marketing in general, is that instead of actually us doing the video and telling all the people the good points on our machines, which makes us totally biased to obviously to the product, yes, we're actually going out and we're actually visiting customers who have actually got the product themselves. Um, I personally think there's more store in actually having a, an end user tell their story than me telling somebody all the good bits and the bad bits on a machine. The, they are the most powerful that. sales force, you know. Uh, this came up in conversation in the earlier episode talking about robotic mowers. There's yep. no question that most robotic mowers are sold uh, to the guy next door or to other friends rather than by the dealer. Correct. Correct. Uh, it's 100% the case. And I think, you know, as a gain, our product's not cheap. So we tend to find that it's a repeat business that, that uh, is more important to us in a way, and especially at this time. So, you know, we've launched the, uh, the old Pro 46 machine. We brought it back into the fold again. And our marketing strategy on that is basically, you know, you've got the product that you know from years and years ago. It worked. It's back in. You don't need that demonstration necessarily now because you can rely on what's been built in the past. And, and, and so social media, that helps as well. And presumably, um, because you're, you're now uh, reasonably established in the UK, it's much easier than it would have been, say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Although um, it's amazing how many people, when you go around, still don't know the name outside <laughs> of the commercial activity. So local authorities and, and, and large contractors, never an issue, really. But there's a lot of people still aspire to having the Atesia brand and some of them still wish to know it. You know, um, but we, we just have to keep pushing it as much as we can. Are you seeing much growth in electrics? You have a division that sells electric hand tools and you also have machines that are and, and a ride-on, which is electric. In the last episode, we looked at the first electric tractor, albeit just over 20 horsepower, it coming into the country. And that's an area that's going to grow. Are you experiencing that? Uh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't, you're totally right. The focus now is on electric products, um, what are available today and things which are being worked on for the future. The demise of uh, Soltex this year has stopped us launching a product specifically in that, that remit. So we've had to have a rethink on that one ready for the spring of next year now. Um, so it is an important part of our business. The Pellink range, we've seen 50, 60% increase in that now year on year, but only going back the last three years. Um, before that, we, when we started 2010, the first sort of six, seven years, it was very hard work, if you like. And it's only in the last couple of three years that um, other manufacturers have got involved as well. And we're really starting to see people take it seriously as an alternative to petrol stuff. So, it appears to be the direction of travel at the moment as far as powering machines go and uh, can only get more popular and uh, apply to uh, larger and larger machines, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a case of getting the, the uh, lithium at this stage in a quantity that can power something big. And we're still not there 
really. I think it's more of a case of um, there, there's a limitation to the size you can go. Pedestrian seems to work absolutely fine. Ride on at this stage, it's too costly and, uh, and not really there to be able to put that into place in the general mowing world, but obviously it's in place in terms of transportation and other. But different power sources are being looked at constantly. So lithium is, is where we are today. A couple of years time, who knows? It, it, that could be something completely different that we're seeing as to power this larger product that we're all talking about. Yeah, and if we're just focusing on shows uh, at the moment, uh, there are some hopeful signs and indications, of course, all of which might well be influenced by external events and so on. But uh, as things stand at the moment, I see there is a, a show called the Farm Innovation Business Show, or if I've got it right way around, scheduled for the NEC in, in December, so November rather. Uh, Crop Tech, uh, which is run by Agri-Briefing, who run Llama, is taking place in Peterborough, and that's still on. And I'm guessing that the organiser of that show will kind of, there's a dip in the toe of the water to see whether Llama is a, is a, is a goer in, um, in, in January. Are, are, um, you, are you through the AEA are hearing other, other news at the moment or any positive signs? I think what you're saying is, you know, it's fairly close, you know, near the mark. Um, obviously, there's a number of events more to do with an outside bias, if you like, that people are looking to work in the early part of next year. For me, I'm struggling with it, to be honest with you. I just, I just think we're, we're, we're nowhere near out of this pandemic. We're just about to come into the autumn months now, and everybody's telling us to expect worse over the winter months. I'm very very cautious at the you know whether anything's going to run in an internal view this side of the late spring at the mm. earliest mm. I, i'm really surprised the problem is for, for us is how you do it with socially distancing keeping your staff safe keeping your, your your customers safe and actually making it a viable proposition because these things aren't cheap to run you know and if you're going to spend 30 40 50 thousand pound or whatever on the show you need to make sure you're going to get the investment back. And if the numbers are going to be 50% of what they would normally be, every person's going to cost you twice as much money. That's going to take a lot of justifying justify to actually make that work. Yeah, no, I, I, I quite agree. And I think maybe you may well be right about late spring. The problem is that the exhibitors have uh, quite a long lead time to get ready for major shows. I mean, they need to uh, instruct stand fitters and goodness knows what. Um, and you can't just drop everything and drop into a particularly a major venue, can you? No, not at all. I know all of, all of the exhibitors, you know, exhibitions want their money up front, you know, and a certain <laughs> amount of it. And then, you know, then you've got to fight to get it back or postpone it for another year. In a year like this, as we've said, every little bit counts. So some of these exhibitions, you know, for the big manufacturers can cost an awful lot of money. Yes. And that has to be justified. It doesn't matter whether you're small or large. We're watching it very carefully. But as you, you're right in what you're saying, there has to be a certain point before the actual exhibition where it's a yes or no and not a, a continuing maybe. Somebody has to sort of say, well, enough's enough or yes, it's definitely going to go. But yeah. I don't see anybody making that decision until yeah. 2021. No, 
No, you may well be right. Uh, Les, just, uh, we've, we've, we've forgotten about Brexit, haven't we? I mean, it's, is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen? Now, you, you represent a French company, French manufacturing company. So what happens in the Brexit uh, debate or arrangements is of keen interest to you, I guess. Are you making any, any specific arrangements? Can you make it? Have you got enough information at the moment? Uh, well, it's going to happen. <laughs> we know that. What we don't know is how and yes. what we're really planning for. So, oh, no problem then. So, we, so everybody's got a problem. We, we can spend an awful lot of money doing ifs and maybes, but we're, what, three months away from, the, from leaving, and there isn't a single business out there that can actually say a hand on heart, but this is what's going to happen and this is what we need to do. I mean, I've worked for a French company for over 20 years now, and uh, as you said before, and it's a, it's a major importance to us because everything I sell comes out of France and out of Europe. We're going to see delays. There's absolutely no question about it. Uh, we're going to see delays in machinery coming through. We're going to see delays in parts coming through. But to what extent, we don't know. And the way things are going at the moment, we're a month or so away from even having any more information and two months from that information have to be put into place. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's going to be a very, very challenging time for us all. From what information you've got, Les, how are we in the UK compared with counterparts on, on mainland Europe, uh, French market, German market, and, uh, and so on? Uh, are we in a similar kind of position this year uh, with all the issues that have been going on? I think, you know, the extra challenges that this uh, pandemic has brought is brought to the whole of Europe. Um, so from that point of view, we've probably more in line now with Know, this year than we have been in the past you know we've always had a different way of doing things in the uk you know as, as the French <laughs> always say you know, you're brit so you don't do it the same way as as europeans <laughs> do things which i've got used to that over the years and, and they shrug their shoulders and, and move on. Yeah, yeah yeah it's you know the, the old uh, gate goes up and the arm is to start throwing the arrows at the other side of the wall but uh, i think this year it's brought a lot of common ground between all of us um and it's a shame that whilst we're still working through this, we have the Brexit thing to follow up with. You know, it's it's not gone away. It's just been put on the back burner whilst uh, COVID has affected everybody and took over everybody's lives. But Brexit is Brexit's going to be more, could be more harm to us than COVID in terms of business. Because well, we just don't know what's going to happen. No. No. And the AEA have obviously got a major role on behalf of its members to try and smooth the path through Brexit, whatever that path is. Yep, you're, you're right. I mean, the AEA do an awful lot of work in Europe uh, with the standards committees and all the other things which are, are needed to, to, for us to be able to sell product anywhere in Europe. But the AEA have some very, very good people in the team working on that. Um, the other nice thing is that they can collate all the information that comes out of the AEA as, uh, out of Europe and actually make it, you know, usable for everyone. So that, that's an important part. But there's obviously going to be changes over the next year on some of the committees and some of the things that the AEA are involved in. But I'm pleased that we have such a good standard in Europe as an association, but they are quite keen to keep us. I mean, our, our knowledge in the UK in a lot of circumstances, is far outweighs a lot of the European understanding, if you like. So I think they value 
the input that we give to them as well as what we take. What's the mood amongst the, the dealers, your dealers and those dealers that you, you've come across? Are they fairly buoyant at the moment? They, they, they are a resourceful crowd, aren't they? I mean, uh, the, I, to, to my mind, they're some of the best businessmen uh, I've come across and uh, they're enterprising. They don't let much phase them. Um, is that quality coming through this year, do you think? I think uh, you're, you're definitely seeing that as we've done in the past. I mean, there's, there's nothing but a challenge uh, arising doesn't sort of get people, you know, working harder than they've done in the past. And I think a lot of the big companies are, are, are riding the storm quite well and coming out with new innovations on how they deal with it in the future. I suppose my worry for the for uh, the ground care industry is not so much the bigger guys that seem to be strong. It's some of the smaller, older family businesses and I think that's where the biggest input's going to be. You know, the, the, the staff, the owners of the business, they're all getting older and older. You know, there's a lot of them coming up to retirement age. So are the customers it's, actually as well, aren't they? Well, yes, you're right, you're <laughs> right. But, you know, when they come into that retirement age, we're not seeing the, the influx of people wanting to come into it to take it on. So I know of a few businesses, certainly in the South, where they've closed the doors when they last engineers retired you yeah. know the guys have put the clothes sign up and we're starting to see more of that now so i think from the domestic point of view I'm slightly concerned of where we go on that avenue unless they're involved in the online business they don't seem to be having a future as such do you i mean it's difficult really to forecast with this with any accuracy or certainty but do you see a, a general shake-up in the industry as a whole uh, and i'm crossing the whole of the industry from ag through to, to grounds care this will have put an enormous strain on companies corporations right down to family businesses as well and some will will, will decide to leave of their own volition but at the same time do, do you see many sort of mergers and acquisitions going on i mean we've already got one major issue with briggs and stratton uh, and who knows what will happen with that uh, do you have any thoughts on that les uh i think um it's definitely going to happen we these sort of um changes we've seen many times over the years different manufacturers policies will change um they try some manufacturers try and bring in policies that have worked well in another country and they try to bring that into the UK as well. Uh, doesn't always have the same success as it does abroad. Uh, yeah, I believe that there is definitely going to be a shake-up. We're going to see more and stronger companies uh, being built. I say stronger, whether they're financially stronger is a different matter because they can become much bigger, but not necessarily much better in terms of finance. So that's going to be interesting to see how that one pans out over the next 12 months or so. But, yeah, I think there could be a lot of little companies swallowed up. We're already seeing it. We, we, we all know that there's certain manufacturers out there who have their own policies and how they work, and that seems to be take over the small ones, make certain ones bigger. Um, whether that gives you long-term security as a business and gives your customers the best um, service afterwards, we'll wait to see on that one i'm not totally convinced but i don't yeah. luckily enough i don't have to run a business like that <laughs> i think uh, what is interesting is uh it's you know running a running a dealership these days particularly for premium product is not for the faint-hearted it's uh, it's certainly not for the faint financially hearted anyway uh there's a big commitment there and we are seeing um a few moves 
uh, Resync, uh, for instance, uh, now own some dealerships in Canada. And I think you're going to see one particular tractor manufacturer is obviously setting out his stall or their stall uh, quite definitely in a certain direction of, of super dealers. I'm not sure I really agree with the term super dealers because to me they're all super, but um, you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. And I, I just think that we, we will see um, a shakeup in the dealer because I think, you know, financial undertaking from a dealer to handle premium equipment and to service it these days is, is quite an undertaking, isn't it? No, I totally agree. It really, as I said before, it's it's this um, American and uh, overseas uh, ploy, if you like, or, or, or way of working that's been brought into the UK. So over the years, I've seen many things like this uh, attempted and not many of them have ever been successful. Hopefully it will be for them. My one thing that I've always said is that um, in terms of a dealership, which we try to work with, and a lot of them are family businesses, Whenever we have a meeting and we, when we start something off, I always make it known that it's their name over the business door and not mine. And not Very important. Yes. So for me, whilst people can still keep their name above the door and control their business, fantastic. But we are, as you rightly say, now starting to see some of the larger companies, some of the big tractor manufacturers and the rest of it, where the name of the company is almost like sponsored by yes um and, and that'd be a shame if that ever happens completely because that control is is important to the people in the business today and the succession that comes from them it's well the car industry's gone like that doesn't it the car retail business has gone like that absolutely yeah totally. but there's a worry but i would argue that we are not the same as the car industry they have got a single product and we've got a whole range of products to sell from a whole range of manufacturers um before we we, we wrap up um les and thank you it's, it's great to catch up everybody's talking about uh, going back to work and new ways of working and we're talking over zoom now and uh, that would have saved me a trip to your uh, glorious uh, countryside do you think that uh th we will find a mix now of business where these kind of meetings over online are mixed with personal meetings in other words we won't go right back to the way we used to work nor will we go to the other extreme where we all work from home is there a middle ground there uh yes most certainly even in a small company like ours we're we're making changes that uh don't you know it doesn't necessarily mean that guys are spending the whole week on the road driving from one meeting to another um, unless the meetings can be qualified and there's a reason to be there in person then having a phone call having a zoom or whatever it happens to be for half an hour an hour is more productive and more cost effective but as i said right at the very start i don't think you'll ever replace zoom meetings with face-to-face at certain points of the year at least you, you need to be in front of people to really get the best out of it but there's an awful lot we can do without doing it face to face all the time and, and traveling and and the time spent traveling and the expense spent traveling as well Absolutely. Um, and if you look back on this year that there are some positives and there are a lot of negatives uh, w would you take any positives out of this year we're still here. <laughs> I think <laughs> the positive for a lot of us in this industry is that the business is still continuing. Our customers are still there and are safe in the, in the main. I think for this industry, we're really lucky because we don't have that close contact 
that a lot of other industries do in, the, in this country. So we've managed to keep the majority of our people very safe uh, and well for the future. And for me, that's a positive on its own. Um, and, and, and then the negatives, I mean, apart from the loss of business and, and so on? Uh, Brexit, <laughs> COVID-19. We can't get away uh, from it, can we? <laughs> No, no, that are the negatives. I mean, yeah, it's it's been a long time coming this Brexit thing, and uh, the negative is still there because we still don't know what's going on. Um, and as you say, not being able to get in front of people as much as we all want, it's negative. But it's the future. I'm afraid things have to change. Yeah, great. Well, Les, look, that's terrific. Thank you very much indeed. Again, it's, it's great to catch up, um, even by this very odd medium. Um, we both probably went into makeup beforehand, but there you go. Um, so. <laughs> thanks ever so much. I, I wish you well for the rest of your term as AEA president. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to speak to you. Well, that was a most interesting insight into the challenges faced by one company in the UK agriturf market. It seems that COVID and Brexit and the difficulties in putting products in front of customers is providing quite a headache, which is unlikely to be resolved anytime soon. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf. Thank you.